Hello, I'm Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson, episode 71. We made it, everybody. We made it over the the episode 70 hump, and now it's all downhill. You know what? Uh, co-host Josh Long, how you doing? I'm doing all right. All right, let me ask you this. Uh, and we have a guest. We'll, we'll get to her in a second. Um, she can weigh in as well, but if she, you can raise your hand if you have something to say about this topic. And then we'll see if we want you to say yeah, anything or not. Yeah, it's okay. still up in the air if that happens. Yeah. Um... If somebody says it's all downhill from here, mm-hmm. I've heard people use that in a positive and a negative context. I've heard people say it in a way like it gets it's easier from here. It's not an mm-hmm. uphill climb anymore. It's it's easier from here. But I've also heard people say it in a negative term, like it's a you know we've peaked Things and just now get it's worse. All, now it's all downhill from here. That's like, the I've way I always think of it. Okay, unless you're actually like running, and it's yeah. like oh, it's all downhill from here. Then you know it's easy. But either way, like if you're like when it comes to hills, like uphill, downhill, like uphill is bad, downhill is good. So the, even in the phrase, I feel like mm-hmm. downhill is always good. But I hear it in both contexts. Well, depends on where the hill leads. Also, if to the, hell. If the hill leads straight to hell, then it's paid with good intentions. Wouldn't I feel like there's about a hundred <laughs> metaphors in there making a metaphor in a stew, <laughs> and it's bigger than a bread box. So, <sighs> although I guess that's more of a simile than a metaphor. Okay. Um, so, uh, a couple things real quick before we uh, welcome in our return guest. Um, it's me, everybody. Hi, how you doing? Yeah, he's still not co-host status. It's still no, very, it's still, still uh, tenuous. Regular guest, Josh Long. <laughs> um, nothing regular about him, folks. So, uh, well, now that sounds like uh, you're having like some digestive issues, but... Uh, I wasn't going to go there, but thank you. You're welcome. The internet we, will By the thank time you. this comes out, we might have been nominated for another podcast award. It's a good <laughs> thing this, this episode hasn't gone up since then. Um, mm. Anyway, uh, yeah, so I wanted to uh, say a couple of things. First off, I'm going to answer a question no one was asking. Since the last episode, I have watched all of season two of The Walking Dead. Oh, I was, I was, I was, gonna, I was about to ask that. Uh, well, you know what? I beat you to it. Yeah. Got to be on your toes. Well, now I don't care. This, now I don't care what the answer is. It's how you're going to make this a permanent gig. You got to stay one step ahead of me. I'll get there. I know so, it someday. By the way, the, the the best way for you to stay a step ahead of me is to quit because you are fired. Oh, I missed that one too, God. didn't I? Yeah. <laughs> uh, stick around. We need. Oh you for this well. Episode. Okay. So, um, yeah. So I watched season two of The Walking Dead. Uh, you and I spoke very uh, disparagingly about season one, and I stand by that. Except that pilot. That's a good pilot. Um, season two, solid B's, B pluses, even an A minus or two, um, and some like individual scenes that are a, some of the best television I've ever seen. Um, wow. Maybe only like three fall into that category, but they're really powerful. Uh, it is worth your time. 
So, yeah. and I would say actually fight your way through season one to get to season two. Much like fighting your way through a group of zombies. It's to get much to like, like a hacksaw or something. Is that what they use on them? You cut their heads off. I don't think they use hacksaws. No, I think, I think they use you, any other kind of blade except no, hacksaw. a hacksaw might cut, and then you cut the brain stem. And yeah, but you really got to have some do patience with a hacksaw. You got to go back and forth. Like, yeah, I know, but like an axe is pretty good. Well, that'd be good too. Okay, you know, uh, by the time this comes out, the ne- tomorrow is Halloween, so we're still. This is still on topic. Oh yeah, yeah, sure, sure Absolutely. is. So. um... Anyway, so I just wanted to throw that out there. Uh, you know, as of last episode, I, I said that I wasn't going to bother, and then I uh, it was late one night. I was like, I got nothing else to do. I'm gonna I'll try this, and uh, it hooked me. So I'm I'm and I'm now excited for uh, uh, season three. I think next episode I'm going to come up with a question that no one was asking, and just offer the answer, and maybe without ever telling the question either, I'll be like, the answer is ten inside. And everyone would be like, oh, what was, the, what was the question? I wish I'd asked it. Man, now I'm curious what I'm, I'm curious what the question, not even what See? the question specifically is, but what it could possibly be. It could be, I was going to say any number of things, yeah. but not. How old is Josh? Ten inside. <laughs> so, okay. I think I've answered that. Uh, and speaking of uh, uh, Josh being uh, somewhat juvenile. Ten-year-old. Yeah. Uh, the latest episode... Of the unemployed mind is available episode three. Oh boy! It's called. <laughs> I always like how this uh, just takes you by surprise, when man. Bring it up. I'm just so excited for all of you. Really, is what it is. And you know what? You sh- you have reason to be excited for all of them because it's the episode is called "Something's Fishy." Something is fishy in the um, state of Denmark. Rotten, rotten fish. I'm just I'm just spitballing here. It's yeah. like scat talking. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. No real rhythm, not nope. headed anywhere, not coming from anywhere. No, it doesn't <laughs> need to a, be. Just a verbal vagrant. So, anyway, uh, but yeah, episode three of The Unemployed Mind, uh, it's my favorite so far. I think it's very funny. Uh, it features, if you, you know, if you listen to this, chances are you listen to Battleship Pretension, unless, of course, you are my nephew, which, by the way, you're probably not listening to the Ides of March episode anyway. But, uh... <laughs> But he listened to my Avengers episodes. So that was good. Our Avengers episode. Oh, Welcome aboard, buddy. I, I was there, too. So, um, but yeah, uh, and it, so it features uh, comedian Matt Champagne uh, and actor uh, Pat Healy, who you, whom you might have seen in The Innkeepers mm-hmm. and Compliance and various other things. So, um, so yeah, it turned out very well. I think it's very yeah. funny. I will link to it in, uh, in the post for this episode. And it is, uh, it's about 10 minutes long. It's delightful. And it is worth your time. You're going to have a blast. You sure will. I guarantee it. Yeah. What's behind that guarantee? Like, if they do, if they don't have a good time. If you don't have a blast. Blast, yes. Okay. As I define a blast, which changes from day to day. Okay. Um, then you will get the next episode for free. Oh, my gosh. You know what? I, I take that bet. You should. I Those think are I good have. odds. I think I Either have. way, you win. Well, don't I mean, think about it too much. Yeah, Just keep okay. going. Yeah, I mean, if you don't like the show, well, that's that's who would that be? That's impossible. Fair enough. I've yet to meet that person. Once again, you've uh, you know you've uh, proven your mettle here on the show because that's, right. that's impenetrable logic. Impenetrable. So don't try to penetrate it like a door with locks. <laughs> See can't. now that one I think doesn't work. Okay, 
Somebody has been sitting patiently. But th- you know it's what? It's me. I'm I'm very patient. <laughs> I want to talk about this episode. So um yeah so so seek that out. Um all right. So I'll, I'll uh, mention our uh, our guest here. She was on episode thirty, I believe, uh, talking about the film Agora. She has since gotten married to my uh, nemesis. Yeah, that's a little lofty for you. Well, oh, it's me. The thorn in my oh. side. Yeah, but yeah. So uh, she got married to my friend Josh here. But yeah. So Megan, formerly Whitsky, now Megan Long is here. Indeed. Welcome back. I disappointed David Bax very much by changing my name. Apparently. Oh, it doesn't oh, take much to the, disappoint him. I'll be honest with you. Because yeah. of the uniqueness of the name. Because of the, my past uniqueness. Mm-hmm. Now I'm just one of a million Megan Longs that I'm sure are out there. Yeah. You know what though? Your your first name is uh, misspelled. So what you've got that. that. You, you say misspelled. I say better than everyone else. Now it's Mrs. Spelled. Thank you very much. <laughs> All right, that's pretty good. Uh, I'll give him that one. Yeah, that's not bad. I've that's been, not where most people's brains would go first. With that, I've joke. been waiting to <laughs> waiting for that joke. It's been in my pocket yeah. well, for like the last year and a half. Over a year. Like, now's now's my chance. Um, you tried to work it into uh, the proposal. Didn't work. Didn't work. No. Um, you tried to. You you realized you couldn't do a toast at your own wedding. It no. didn't work there. And then finally, because I'm making fun of your dear wife's name, now's our chance. Yes. But uh, B.S. Welcome, welcome uh, back to the show, Megan. Thank you. So I'm happy to be back. All right. So the episode today is going to be about the film The Ides of March, uh, directed by George Clooney, written by George Clooney, his... Uh, Longtime writing and producing partner Grant Hesloff and Bo Willimon, I think is how you would say that, and it's based on the play by Bo Willimon. Um, it came out last year. It was, I believe, nominated for best ori- best adapted uh, screenplay. Um, I do not recall what beat it. What was last? Oh, The Descendants. Best adapted. Oh. Yeah. So another George Clooney project, though he was he did not write it. Um, so yeah, uh, now real quick before we get into, I did want to uh, throw something out there. Um, the uh, next door neighbors we recorded we are recording this at the Longs, and uh, the next door neighbors up until a few moments ago they had a live mariachi band playing outside late at night. Yeah. Uh, so that I, I haven't heard the band in a while, but uh, I do still hear some revelry. So you may occasionally hear some screams. That may pop in at any moment. Yeah. Cheering for, for yeah. mariachi music. It's Absolutely. been happening a lot tonight. So Because uh, I am an old lady before my time, I did call the non-emergency number. So hopefully the police is uh, there and and giving them a stern talking to at this moment. Absolutely. Hopefully. Because it's after a certain time of night. That's it the is. Thing. Like, it's late. It, it, it would have probably bothered me a little bit, but not, but not immensely. But at the same time, like, yeah. no, other people could, might conceivably be trying to sleep. I am going to be awake for the next eight hours. But uh, anyway. So. I take it upon myself to be that, that lady who calls the police. I've, been I've pretty much been that lady since I was like 12 years old. So <laughs> it works. I've been that guy. Because our, our next door neighbors have uh, gardeners who show up at 7 a.m. with their uh, leaf blower. And it's like, that's a little, that's yeah, a little early. A little early. Yeah. So anyway, that's neither here nor there. We're all very old. Um, so yeah, so we're talking about uh, the Ides of March. And um, 
the reason you know what actually first I think we'll I think we'll do a, 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 a brief summary and uh, our good friend and uh, regular guest Josh Long oh, has me. decided he will uh, he will summarize it for us Josh take us away yeah I can do that uh, should I try and do this with spoilers there's uh, a lot yeah, of twists you know, yeah. and turns in this one so. Yeah. Um, that, yeah, uh, if you have not seen The Ides of March and you don't want it spoiled, it's not, there are some twists and turns. It's not exactly like it's a M. Night Shyamalan film, but at the same yeah. time, uh, if you don't want it spoiled for you, then either stop listening or jump to, I'm going to say, four minutes uh, after right now. I'll try and I'll give you one that's here without any spoilers. Okay. So, like, the basic idea is uh, Ryan Gosling plays a kind of a campaign manager mm-hmm. for... Uh, candidate named is it mike morris yes mike morris played by george clooney uh who was in the democratic primary for uh for the you know to run for president in ohio and um uh the basic setup is is uh that ryan gosling goes back and forth with the uh this campaign manager and another campaign the opposing campaign Manager who might want to hire him, and some political intrigue ensues. That's Thank kind of a note, no uh, spoiler version. So, and a, a couple things that are important to know, and we'll talk more about this in a moment. But uh, uh, Ryan Gosling, who is not the campaign manager, I think he's like the the, the head of communications. He's the media guy. The media. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the the campaign manager is played by uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, but uh, Ryan Gosling. He's 30 years old. He's kind of a sort of a wonderkind. Like he's, you know, he's young but very smart and actually mm-hmm. has a fair amount of experience. Uh, and there, there is a, a certain cynicism to it, but it seems to have kind of gone away for mm-hmm. this campaign. He really does believe. Really believes in, in Mike Morris. In Mike Morris so. played by, and of course, Morris is played by George Clooney, who, you know, is. Uh, very charismatic. Very, yeah. Good looking. I hear the ladies like him. I, I, I've heard that. But not for a while. I eh. think he's losing it. He's getting a little old. Yeah. You know, he's he was getting, better he's on. He's getting uh, craggy, but he's. I think he's uh, still a. Uh, he's he's developing a rugged quality to him. I think he was better looking back on the facts of life. Was he? That's right. He was on the facts of life. Yeah, sure was. I think he was in one of the Killer Tomatoes movies. Ooh. Or was he in? He was one called Return to Horror High. <laughs> but uh yeah his career is always fascinating to me um that this guy that became like one of the biggest stars was yeah. like in these quintessential 80s things and cheesy yeah. cheesy 80s stuff but uh so all right should i do another uh, uh synopsis that kind of tells gives the spoilers away or do you think it's enough to go with what we've said so far um i think that's enough and then okay. we can we can uh delve further into it um okay so uh and and we'll we'll have some spoilers but not not very many um but yeah so because this is the reason i picked this movie it's it's a movie that i i didn't really like when i first saw it but upon watching it again for the purposes of this episode i actually liked it quite a bit more um and i think some of that has to do with uh and this is a very abstract thing, what I'm about to say. Some movies fit better on a small screen. I first saw the movie in theaters, and and it just seemed like such a... Everything was just so bombastic and melodramatic, and mm. and on a big screen, it just mm. has this operatic quality that's like, I don't... I feel like you haven't earned this. 
then I watch it on the small screen, and it works for me, almost all of it. Interesting. Um, so I, I, I give it a – I think it's not perfectly written. I think there's some kind of clunky, ham-fisted stuff in there. But, uh, but yeah, it's pretty uh, – I, I stand by it now, much to my surprise. Um, and Clooney's a decent director, I think. Oh, very much so. Yeah. Yeah, he did um, – Good night, good luck. Uh, that was his second film. His first one was Confessions of, of, a dangerous mind. of a Dangerous Mind. Yes. Then he did Good Night, Good Luck. He did Leatherheads, which I did not see. Mm. Um, and then he did this. So he's he's shown himself to be a, a good director and uh, one who I think is good with actors. And uh, well, I'll get more into that. But the point is, uh, when I announced on Facebook uh, and on Twitter that we were going to be talking about this movie. Next, uh, I got uh, a fair amount of negative responses. Uh, mm. People saying that they thought the movie was boring or predictable or just thought it wasn't that good. And again, I, was, hmm. I myself didn't think it was that good. But I picked it specifically because uh, by the time this comes out, uh, the, the national election, uh, election is one week away. And um, I felt like... Uh, you know, hey, we did an episode about The Mist and an episode about The Cabin in the Woods, and so uh, I'm not opposed to going seasonal. And yeah. um, and this is something that comes along every four years. Uh, I did not have the show in the, during the last election. And um, and so I felt like uh, I felt like weighing in, uh, in in a way that seemed appropriate, which is to talk about a movie that is that I think did pretty well and a lot I think a lot of people saw it and it's pretty high profile because Ryan Gosling and George Clooney are in it and that sort of thing so um, so yeah that's that's why I picked it in case uh, people were curious um, mm-hmm. but uh, okay so I saw it when it first came out Josh uh, and I watched it maybe two weeks ago uh, and that was his first time seeing it Megan just finished watching it like an hour ago Correct. so uh, so let's talk about the movie first. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time just you know going through the the, the nuts and bolts of it, but um, but yeah, Megan, you you uh, had a pretty positive response to it. Yeah, I really liked it. I was telling Josh earlier that I think I I think I am a little biased towards political films. I think I just generally like them and enjoy them. So I don't know, you know, I, I wouldn't say that this is a fabulous film or like you know the most amazing thing i've ever seen recently or anything like that but i really liked it i i it really caught me and i was i was pretty riveted like Hmm. i i really felt like i got drawn in that it was really good so um was there a specific uh aspect to the film uh that you responded to what that could be a specific character or a scene or something or a theme that was explored we don't want to go too far into that because we'll talk to that uh, about that later but uh, was there something specific that kind of got you i did i really just enjoyed ryan gosling's character i mean i i think i could relate to him i i also feel like i'm a bit of an idealist when it comes to politics and i i can get wrapped up in uh you know kind of idealizing a certain candidate or a certain idea um as it relates to politics and i've always been interested in politics and um, so I feel like I could relate to him in that sense. And, you know, he, as you guys were explaining earlier, I mean, he does, he, he's less cynical than the people around him and seems to genuinely mm-hmm. care about what he's doing and, and the cause that he's working for, um, beyond just making money or, or winning that he actually cares about that, what this guy's going to do once he actually wins and gets into office. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and then sort of how that clashes with the actual real world of politics was pretty fascinating to me. And I I think really Mm -hmm. one of the things that hit me the most was just wondering how real this is, if this is really how politics are in real life. I mean, obviously I get the impression it, it is, it is really that cynical um, to some extent, but um, it does get pretty depressing. (laughs) Um, And, uh, since we've already kind of started into that, uh, I will say I'm sure there are some people um, who are already maybe a little on edge because I know that any time we dip into politics on my other show, eh, bad things happen <laughs> um, as far as uh, listener feedback. Some good things, but but a lot of bad things. Um, and so uh, I'm not going to declare like, oh, well, I'm, I lean this way because listener, some listeners probably already know. But, uh, but we are going to tell you who to vote for. Absolutely. Stay tuned. you got to listen until the end. Uh, right. <laughs> We're going to say, you know what? Listen till, till the music is done. Mm-hmm. And it's then we'll, and it's then we'll, Roseanne. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Yeah. She had a good show. And that roast did, went pretty well. She showed she was a good sport. Uh-huh. You know, I'd like to see her at the Al Smith dinner. Uh-huh. Am I and right? I heard uh, I heard John Goodman might be up for VP. So oh, you know, <laughs> you know. I probably vote for that. Um, but uh, I know you're not supposed for the bottom of the t- vote for the bottom of the ticket. But you know what? I do it for 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 John Goodman for Bar Goodman. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess that's what it would say on the sign, isn't it? Vote Bar Goodman. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so I don't want people to like be really worried that we're going to get into like specific politics. It's more just mm-hmm. the general. Uh, the general idea of of politics, regardless of what side you're on, mm-hmm. um, and I will say that like uh, I th- this election I have been following since May of last year because um, I really got involved in the primaries because I became fascinated with certain political and economic theories, and I was like, oh, these are great. Hey, an election's coming up. Let's see if any of these guys subscribes to these things that I like, <laughs> and. Uh, Kind of hard to tell. Kind of hard to tell (laughs) because it turns out the nuanced political theories that uh, that you get really excited about, and you know, from interviews and YouTube and all that kind of thing, and people that aren't aren't politicians and can speak freely, like that doesn't interact or intersect that much with speeches, stump speeches. we're playing to the lowest common denominator here. Yeah, there's the the thing that I always like from the the West Wing is you know uh, talking about like the ten second. Or no, the ten word response. Like anything you have to say, boil it down to ten words and repeat those words over and over. Really, you know, an example for example, uh, an example for example <laughs> is, uh, uh, and I'll, I'll, I will go with somebody from the primary because there are a lot more to choose from on that side than than on uh, on the left. Um, Herman Cain, what was his plan? Oh my gosh, I don't even remember. Nine nine nine. Oh yeah, Herman Cain, and that was like right. the only thing that came out of the primaries that people remembered. To That's the right. point where he was very successful with that. He was because he he hammered it into the ground to the mm-hmm. point where people kind of made a joke about it, and he made a joke about it as well. Like mm-hmm. you know, in the debates, he would he'd be like he's like you know that's a very good question, and I think it requires. Uh, an answer and I have a bold new plan and anytime he'd say bold new plan everybody knew where he was headed he was actually a pretty dynamic uh, politician he was way in, way in over his head but, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. but that was the thing like he boiled it down to three numbers and just keep saying them <laughs> um, and uh, so yeah there is and but after a while like you watch the man you watch the primaries and even if there's a candidate that you get really excited about you just see 
just the cynicism of the process. Oh, yeah. Um, it, it must just get to them because some of them t- start out sounding like, you know, like fresh and new and different and they really want to change things. And it, it's like it doesn't take long before it's like they become glassy eyed and they'd say like things that no one would ever say. Yeah. It, it's like everything's a hard sell. It's weird. And it does have to be, it, it must be so tempting. You know, it's easy for, for us to, uh, you know, sound a little judgmental, but it must be so tempting. Um, it must be so tempting when people are saying, like, you, you just repeat the same things over and over again. So you're probably going to get a little glassy eyed. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I mean, I believe we all three have acted, mm-hmm. right? And Correct, so, yeah. you know, I, I, I was in a play called Bus Stop, which we rehearsed it for a year um, because it was part of the Missouri state thing. No, this is not when I won best actor for the state of Missouri. This is a separate state. Wait, honor. you won best actor. State I know. Of Missouri? I know. Hard to believe. That's fascinating. I have never heard that before. <laughs> you know what? See me after the show. <laughs> so, um, but no, and so we were rehearsing it for a year and then we put it on at like the Missouri state thespian conference and then it got selected to go to the international thespian festival so we rehearsed for an, an, another and it got to the point and this also by the way happened with the 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 play that i won best actor in state of missouri for we rehearsed it so much that during the rehearsal process not on stage thankfully um during the rehearsal process my director's like tyler what are you doing i was like what what he's like you're mouthing the lines of the person talking to you and i was like oh whoops he's like are you here right now is like uh as much as i can be considering there's like the 150th time we've done this you know (laughs) like and so and that's something i love to do you know but Mm -hmm. but my mind was shut off so much that i was just mouthing along with every line in the show yeah and so um so yeah just imagine like you have to repeat the same points over and over Mm -hmm. and then and you're connecting with people a little bit and then someone comes along and says you know what if you just said this as well, you may only kind of believe it. You may, but if you say this on top of what you have been saying, it takes no. It takes almost nothing, no energy, to incorporate this new thing. First off, the excitement of getting to say something new must be kind of uh, kind of fun. But also, I don't know if I'd be. It's just like if you say this thing, you get another five points. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, that has to be tempting. Like it's very easy for me to judge a politician and be like, well, I, I could do that. It's like, I don't think I could. Yeah. I mean, it must be one of the hardest jobs in the world because it's, it's not only that you have to constantly be on and constantly be, you know, taxing your brain to come up with, you know, something smart to say and, and making sure you're bringing up the right talking point at the right time. But also there's the pressure of that if you say one wrong word or even, even if it's not wrong, even if it just could possibly be spun in the wrong way by the media yeah. that, that you're done, you know, that yeah. you're, that's all the people are going to be talking about for the next couple of days. I mean, yeah. the pressure riding on that must be incredible. Yeah. And it's and it's so interesting because you're also, yeah, the, the way s- stuff is spun either by you know, by uh, the press and, and people that write editorials or by, you know, the oppo- your mm-hmm. opponents. Like, right. you know, if you, you literally need to be perfect and if you do have a gaffe, it better not be even slightly offensive to anybody. Right. Because if it is, watch out. Right. You know, um, but then at the same time, like, the, the pressure cooker of politics does, not always, but it can sort of, I'm kind of happy that it's as, 
as intense as it is because it does sort of uh, separate the wheat from the chaff a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the, like people talked about like all so many of the all the debates in the primaries. And it's like, yeah, that there sure were a lot of debates. But you know what? It kind of showed us that Rick Perry wasn't ready because yeah. he was not a good talker and he could not inspire people like he, he had a, a record that that conservatives liked but uh but yeah he uh it, it kind of exposed him as i don't think he's stupid i just don't think mm-hmm. he's a talker and i think like and i don't think he's able to really think on his feet like you can like, like you have to in a debate and mm-hmm. so people are mm-hmm. like okay well he's not for us like yeah. he, you, you know i mean you say you say oops in a debate yeah you <laughs> forget major parts news. of your platform it's just kind of a bad yeah. thing yeah but uh but yeah, and so uh, so we have kind of veered off into politics specifically, um, and there are things in the Ides of March that, uh, again, when I saw it in the theater, it seemed really ham-fisted, and there are certain plot points that I think are a little ham-fisted. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it sort of reminded me of a ugh, a screenplay I wrote in high school <laughs> called, wow. called The Model Citizen. It's about political corruption, because hey, what high school doesn't know about political corruption? <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, and... and and all of the, the the different types of corruption, like they're they're just so flagrant and obvious, and the kind of thing that a seventeen year old would write. Um, and I got some of that from uh, the Ides of March, but but upon watching it again, like the dialogue is pretty good. It's pretty crackling. Like I'm I'm interested to know how much of that is in the play. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but yeah, so uh, Megan and I have been doing a lot of talking, mostly me. Josh, what did you uh, what did you think of the film in general? I, I enjoyed it. I um, I did kind of undersell it to you as well. Like I said, you did, which I think made it better for me. I think I was expecting to to uh, uh, to just find it boring or not not interesting or worse, kind of like politically biased. Which I I feel like it does a it makes a wise choice in having the the conflict be between two. Um, Democratic candidates running yeah. Yeah, running for president because that way you don't have any of the any of the mess of of saying like well you know Republicans are evil and Democrats are good or vice versa, um, and then you're not pinning any kind of corruption on one particular political party. So I think that was a good that was a good choice and um, I like I like the I'm I'm surprised that you said you got comments from people who said that it was predictable because I, I don't feel like it is. I feel like one of the things that I liked about it is that it went in directions I didn't think it was going to. Mm-hmm. Like there were a lot of things I, as some information kind of becomes revealed, uh, I thought it was going to go one way, but it chose to do it uh, in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess that's extremely vague, but I'll... We can get more specific in a, in, in a moment. Yeah, I, can, I guess I can go into spoilers a little bit and talk about one scene in particular, which is where uh, after Ryan Gosling's been uh, fired from the campaign, he he goes to Paul Giamatti's character, he goes to the, the head of the opposing campaign um, to sort of join them in revenge... And yeah. give them this bombshell that he has about yeah. about Mike yeah, Morris. Yeah, he's got, he's got some dirt on George yeah, Clooney's character. Something big. Um, and I expected that was the direction the movie was going to take, is that it was going to go down, okay, now he's going to do that from the other side, and what's going to happen with the yeah. people involved um, in all that. But 
instead it turns out that Paul Giamatti had completely just used him, didn't even doesn't even want him to come to the campaign. Yeah. He's really just uh, Paul Giamatti is trying to ruin Philip Seymour Hoffman, who's running Morris's campaign, yeah. um, by taking Ryan Gosling's character off of the campaign. Yeah, um, that that kind of was his was his end game. Like there was a, maybe a, a chance that they would work together, but that really wasn't that really wasn't what he was looking for. He was just trying to destroy the other guys. And it's I thought that was interesting because it was it doesn't focus as much on the like the seedy underbelly of what politicians do when they're corrupt, but more, more focuses on the process and how, you know, Ryan Gosling in that scene says, this is, this is my life you're talking about. And, uh, Paul Giamatti's character knows that he just, he plays people like chess pieces and that's because that's the best way to get by him forwards. And, and I mean, I think he actually even ap- apologizes he to Ryan Gosling's yeah. character. Like, I, you know, I take, does no, I really feel for you. Yeah. I take, I take no pleasure in this. I don't think he I don't know if he yeah. says that specifically, but that's, and you get the impression he actually is sorry. Like he doesn't mm-hmm. want to do this to a guy that he thinks is nice, but he has a job to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and I, and Josh, I agree with you completely. I think it's very smart that they made this about a primary, uh, not merely because like, not merely because like. As somebody who is yes, I am. I'm a bit more politically conservative. I'm much more politically conservative than than uh, a lot of people in Hollywood, um, and so I, I, I've kind of gotten used to seeing like conservatives and, and Republicans get bashed. So, but it, this this didn't come from me being like, yeah, Democrats are pretty bad. It wasn't that. It was about actually something bigger than that. Mm-hmm. And it was this idea of like it would have been so easy to just say, well, this side is evil because they believe something we don't. Mm-hmm. Right. It's literally just. My guy is the right guy, mm-hmm. and anybody else. It doesn't even matter if they believe if if these guys believe the same thing down all the way down the line, except for one yeah. or two things here and there. It doesn't matter. One my of them guy has to beat the other one. Yeah, and as long as my guy's winning, the other guy is. is we'll paint him as evil. We'll paint him as totally unelectable. Whatever. That's what we'll do. And when it comes to my guy is the right guy, it doesn't even mean that my guy is the right guy for the job or that he's even going to do the best job. Because, I mean, I think Ryan Gosling's character does genuinely feel that way um, for at least half of the film, you know, at least the first half. But um, I think the characters around him, including the campaign manager on his side and Paul Giamatti, the campaign manager on the other side, I think they they more or less both feel like they've been hired to do a job. They're very good at their job and their candidate needs to win. And, you know, if he does win, they're going to follow him to the White House and get better jobs themselves and have a better career and i feel like it's more about that this is an industry um and Mm -hmm. less about the ideal of this particular candidate that they've done this so many times they're just jaded and that's it's it's less that that's what really interested me too was that it's less about that you see that the political system is corrupt and more just that you see it's just jaded it's it's um yeah yeah it's not even corrupt it's like those lines are very blurred at a certain point yeah it's it is one of those things where, and and this, I got a lot of this from from the West Wing uh, when I watched that. Is this idea of like, you know, there's the public face, you know, like in this in this election, you've got Mitt Romney, Paul Ryan, Barack Obama, Joe Biden, and then to a lesser extent, you have like you know the wives. But there's like all these. There, there are so many operatives behind the scenes, mm-hmm. and they're really the ones that do a lot of the work. Not right, to imply yeah. that, that the politicians don't, but like. All the like all the stuff happening behind the scenes, like all the scurrying and, and running around, like that's these people. Like a campa- a campaign, like stuff may everything needs to go, you know, go through the the candidate eventually. 
but by the time it gets to him or her so much it's it's gone through so many revisions and stuff that uh yeah. you know ult- like the buck stops with them but it, it's gone through so many things before that that uh that you, you kind of realize that the political machine is much more than this handful of politicians. Absolutely. And George Clooney's character doesn't even know how he's doing half the time. He's, he's often asking the people around him, all right, how am yeah, I doing? What How's are the it? numbers? What are the numbers? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, and so, and it is interesting just the, the way the, I think it's a wonderful cast and I think everybody does a really great job. Um, I think, you know, it's interesting because Ryan Gosling is, He's more idealistic. There is a certain cynicism. There's a cynicism, but um, not a world weariness that you see definitely in Paul Giamatti's character. Mm -hmm. You get a little bit from Philip Seymour Hoffman, but he's kind of – I get an idealism from him too. Like he does kind of – he values certain things, Mm -hmm. but you almost get – like he he talks about how much he values loyalty. Loyalty Mm -hmm. Um, But at the same time, you can almost – you can say like, ah, he – he might be kind of, I'm not sure if I'd say hypocritical, but, you know, I think he values loyalty to him. Right. I think it's very personal for him. Yeah, yeah. Personal, I think, values as opposed to Ryan Gosling, I think, is still very much concerned with the, the larger values yeah. of the party. And he even talks about, I, th- I think at one point, I thought this was an interesting line where he says that, um, you know, if his guy gets elected, that, that it's going to be the best thing for the country, even for the people that hate him. Yeah. Um, so I feel like he does have this kind of like all encompassing, you know, that he really does believe in this guy, that it's going to be best for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. He's got a true believer quality mm-hmm. uh, to him. But um, at least at the beginning. Yeah. And I think that's part of the that's one of the maybe the main theme of the movie is his sort of change from yeah. that idealism to a. A darker opinion yeah. of uh, the political process. Yeah, I mean the character is pretty likable, and then, then in the moment when he gets, basically he gets fired from the, the Morris campaign, and he heads right over to Paul Giamatti and says, "I want to work for you, and I can. I've got a lot that I can that I can do." Mm-hmm. Um, and it does. It is. It is ugly to see that. Like he jumps. You know, it's like he really believes in this guy, but. The minute he stops paying me, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm I'm out. I will tear that guy all all the way down. He jumps fast, and the other thing too that I that I noticed because I watched a little bit of it with you, Megan, as you were rewatching it. Well, watching it for the first time today, um, and this will go into spoilers again. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the dirt that he has on Morris. Sorry, I I feel like I don't want to divulge this because it's a big point of the That's plot, fine. but it kind of needs to. Talk it's of about a personal it. nature, I guess we can say. It's not like it, it's not like he he dug up like a, a a vote or like some kind of political thing. Like Morris has a personal thing that that uh, he doesn't want to get out. Yeah, and uh, yeah, if we're going to leave it at that, I'll just say that it it involves another person. But if it were to come out, it would destroy that other person. Yes, and I didn't even think about it so much the first time through, mm-hmm. but seeing that again the second time, I realized he. He either knows that and doesn't care, uh, or he just has stopped even realizing that this is another that this is another person's life that he could be destroying in order to get back at the people who fired him. Yeah. The um, other thing I found interesting is is I was really expecting him to when he finds out this dirt that so you know really upsets his kind of worldview. Um, 
he I, I expected him to quit or reveal mm-hmm. it right away because the, the integrity of the candidate that he's supporting is obviously very shaken now. Um, but he doesn't quit. He actually continues to support him and tries to kind of hide it and sweep yeah, it under the rug up. until he gets fired himself. And then he and then he's like is willing to kind of use, use it. it. Right. Yeah. And one of the things that I do like about the movie, and I, I noticed it more the second time around than the first, is that there are basically three different types of cynicism going on. Uh, or in, <laughs> there are three stories going on. Um, there's the one in which, you know, there's the dirt on the governor. Mm-hmm. Then there's the going back and forth between the two campaigns. Those two don't actually have anything to do with one another, technically. Yeah. Like, one does not have to happen for the other to happen. But then there's this other thing. Jeffrey Wright, who is an actor I like and I think is not used enough. Um, I think he's a, a wonderful actor. Um, he plays Senator Thompson, who ha- who was also running in the primary and got some delegates, but not enough, and he dropped out. But he still has delegates that are pledged to him. And, and so he's kind of in a... So now it's down to these last two guys fighting for the nomination, and... This guy, Jeffrey Wright, who he's not given a lot of time, but he he kind of does – he plays him like a, like a politician. He plays mm-hmm. him like a guy who knows mm-hmm. when to have oratory and he's very cagey. He's very wry. Mm-hmm. Um, and he knows like I'm in a power position. I can – I have enough delegates to put either one of these guys over the – you know, over the – I forget exactly how many. It needs to be over a thousand certainly. Um, like I, I have enough – that if I release my delegates to this person, this person wins. Mm-hmm. So I want something. Yeah. And right. so, and everybody agrees he's a, he's bad. He's not a good man. Yeah. Nobody he's not wants a good politician. Him. Nobody wants him to be a part of their thing, but like the opposition, uh, they offer him, I believe secretary of state. Mm-hmm. And so now it's a bidding war mm-hmm. because well, what's I mean, secretary of state's pretty good. What's the yeah. next best thing? Well, VP. And so now it's like, are we going to offer him that a guy that we know is not at all competent and, mm-hmm. uh, and a guy that we don't trust and a guy who literally is selling his delegates yeah. uh, for personal gain. Morris even says that he'd rather have the other guy win than have to yeah. take on Thompson. Mm-hmm. And so, and that's a, and that's a whole other thing. And so it's, it's fun to watch. It's fun and interesting to watch Ryan Gosling and Philip Seymour Hoffman like juggle all of these things, none of them having anything to do with each other except they're all part of one campaign, so they mm-hmm. all fall under that umbrella. And uh, and yeah, there there is there's a lot to like about this movie. There's there's some pretty on the nose dialogue and some of the uh, some of the plot twists one could say are a little sensationalistic, though. Of course, you know you look at frankly you look at like the. <laughs> You look at the the life of John Edwards, and you see, like, you know what? Yeah. Sometimes it gets sensationalistic. It's yeah. not merely that he cheated on his wife. It's not merely that his wife had cancer. It's that he cheated on his wife while she had cancer. It's mm-hmm. like, man, that's pretty rough. That's pretty rough. Um, and he was doing really, he was doing pretty well in the primary. Yeah, he really was. I mean, he was on the, you know, he was a VP candidate in 2002. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, and um, we have our illustrious former California governor. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's the thing. It's not uh, no no side no one side has uh, has the market cornered on being kind of <laughs> oh <sleazy>. no. <laughs> so, um, and it, and it is that's the thing. Like, it's kind of fun to talk about like politics as being just this crappy thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's easy to make jokes about it. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that I uh, I'll, I'll regale 
this. Um, shortly after uh, the 2008 election and uh, Barack Obama was elected president, and so, of course, there's a Senate seat open. And uh, the governor of Illinois at the time was a guy with a crazy hair named uh, Rod, Blago- Rod Blago- Blagojevich. That's a me. real name. Yeah, Rod Someone Blagojevich. really had that yeah. name. That's a Still very... Does. It's a very Illinois name, Blagojevich. I could see that being in there. But uh, anyway, so he uh, apparently behind the scenes, because the governor, when the, when something like this happens, the governor, I think, I don't know if he appoints the somebody to replace the the to to fill the open seat, or if he, and I don't know if there needs to be a vote or something like that. I don't remember. But anyway, so he uh, he was going to sell it to somebody and say like, if you give me like enough money or whatever, mm-hmm. then you can have this. And I remember uh, a comedian that I know named Graham Elwood. He was performing right around the time this happened. And uh, and he's like, you know, it's fun to watch the rest of the country be like, oh, this is so terrible. And he's like, meanwhile, anybody that's lived in Illinois or Chicago is like, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's wrong, but uh, what what did you expect? <laughs> um, like, there's just so many. And even the companion film that we'll talk about today um, takes, play, uh, takes place in... Uh, I don't think they specify in the movie, but essentially it takes place in Louisiana, which is known for just a hotbed of political corruption to the point mm-hmm. where, I mean, it just, you make, uh, it becomes kind of a joke, but it is something that's kind of sad when you think about it. Like, yeah. you know, you hope that these people are like the best ones and then you realize like, not really. They're just the ones that. They're just the ones we got. They're the ones we got. <laughs> um, the ones they talk just, prettiest. Yeah. Which, you know, there's something to be said for that as far as uh, rhetoric, but hopefully there's there's something behind it. But, um, but yeah, uh, and, and I did want to talk about that. Um, I think we've talked about the cast, and we talked about Philip Seymour Hoffman and Paul Giamatti. I think Ryan Gosling did a good job. I mean, hey, he got nominated for a Golden Globe. I mean, if, that, if that's Ooh, not good, I don't know what true. is. Um, but uh, what did you guys think of, of George Clooney specifically? It's funny. I actually don't like him. I'm, I'm like one of those people that I, I just don't get him that much. Um, but I loved him in this. And okay. I think part of it is because I think a lot of the times when I don't like him, it's because he's playing what is supposed to be a completely 100%, you know, likable and charming character, um, you know, that maybe has some kind of charming bad side but it's still charming um and for whatever reason it doesn't charm me but in this movie he you know plays a politician so he's totally charming exterior Mm -hmm. and then you know he's a real person on the inside with real flaws and real problems and Mm -hmm. um you know real narcissism and uh and that i found totally believable and really interesting and i i loved the way he played it and um yeah i i feel like i very much bought him Mm -hmm. uh in this character totally I love the relationship between him and his wife. Like they, you don't get very much of it, but there's one in scene in particular where he and his wife are just, I think, kind of cuddling or something on the on the bus, on campaigning or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that's a nice scene. Yeah, and they have a great mm-hmm. conversation, and um, and you get a lot of their relationship in a way that that um, in a lesser movie, I think they could very easily make that a stereotype, make her a stereotype, but it's yeah. it's good. Yeah, uh, Josh, what did you think of him? Oh. I mean, I, I think I enjoyed him. I, I don't feel like he stood out to me one way or the other, but I, I he gives a good performance in there. I mean, he he. I feel like he's kind of suited to play a politician because he's yeah. one of those type of people. He's yeah. good looking and he's charismatic and yeah, yeah. And he's and he's actually getting to the age where he yeah. where 
like I think he's still like a, like a good looking guy, but now he he kind of looks his age. He mm-hmm. aside from the gray hair, he was he looked pretty youthful for a while. Now it's starting to catch up with him, and now there's a real maturity to him mm-hmm. and the way he looks. And now he does look like like a Mitt Romney or a Rick Perry or mm-hmm. you know people that kind of have a, a good look to them and mm-hmm. and do have uh, charisma because there is there is something to be said for like you know you're your leader being somebody who just exudes confidence yeah. and uh, and has a, a presence on the stage. You know, there, yeah. people talk about, you know, a president being, it's like, oh, they seemed presidential. It's like, well, What's yeah, but not all, not every president has seemed presidential. No. Um, and he, you know, he, one thing I also really liked about the character is that he really truly does have integrity. Mm-hmm. you know of a certain variety like even even after you find out that he isn't perfect um by any means there's still uh, you know there's still several opportunities where he kind of shows that he has qualms about doing certain things and that mm-hmm. that kind of compromising on certain values of his really does bother him like i believe that it actually does bother him which doesn't necessarily mean that compromising on every type of value bothers him but i i think it's interesting that he's not it's not like he you think he's good and then you just find out he's just a bad evil person i feel like at least the impression i got is that um you find out he's you know got these major flaws but uh but at the same time that he's not a completely horrible person at least that's the impression i got yeah, he does like he does complain about having to give in on lots mm-hmm. of issues so he clearly has a some kind of moral sense, some kind of, you know, his own set of ethics that he doesn't want to do stuff. Now, he does give in to a lot of that mm-hmm. stuff, but mm-hmm. it's not um, it's not as if he will just do anything. Yeah. He he might give in to most things, but he it would be begrudgingly, so I don't know. There's a little nuance to that. I like that he and and he's done this before like in pretty much every film that he's directed though I again I have not seen Leatherheads uh he he will give himself the supporting role and not the lead and I I like yeah. that a lot and yeah. with and especially with something like this it would have been very easy and again I don't know I don't know the play uh but it would have been but you know when adapting anything you can make it into what you want it to be mm-hmm. he could have made his character front and center i mean hey he's the polit- you know he's the guy who's running for president yeah. maybe he should be front and center mm-hmm. but he's absolutely supporting he's oh, there yeah. there are long stretches of the film where he doesn't show up mm-hmm. and uh, and i think that's for the best it, because it really does structurally at least like it does make make you feel a lot more like you're part of the campaign where like you're working for this yeah. thing and you see pictures of this guy all over the place but when he actually shows up, you're like, oh, hey, the, he's here. Mm-hmm. This guy we've all been talking about mm-hmm. and we want to lead our country. Mm-hmm. Now he's in the room with me. That's mm-hmm. very – oh, he's gone again. Okay. That's <laughs> fine. We got what we can't we, – we, we got what we could. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a film that ultimately I think I – when I first saw it, I, last year I considered – the screenplay specifically, I considered it one of the worst of the year. Hmm. Um, really? And it's because – of some of the plot points and it all again on a big screen for some reason it's it had this operatic melodramatic quality to it that i just thought was totally mm-hmm. overblown and it absolutely works on the small screen yeah. so if if you haven't seen it uh, seek it out i actually would recommend it at this point would you guys i would yeah okay. yeah i think i would i think i i don't love the script because i feel like i don't like some of the dialogue actually yeah but i feel like the way it the way it all plays out like the the way all the 
storylines kind of unravel into each other. I, I, I like that. There's some good twists and turns. Yeah, and it's it, you know it's one of those things where I, I picked this movie knowing that I when I picked it I hadn't seen it again, so I I knew like. I wasn't going to like it that much, but I, thematically, I wanted there was some stuff in there I wanted to talk about. So, I so in watching again, it's like, oh, this wasn't torturous at all. Rewatching it, I kind of <laughs> like this. That's good. I didn't want to just talk about a movie I knew to be bad, yeah. um, just because I wanted to talk about some of the themes it explores. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, it's a film that I that I recommend people seek out. It's not the best. It's not the best political movie I've ever seen. Um, you know, it's probably in the top twenty. Um, yeah, I, I haven't seen. There haven't been that many political movies made, uh, like about running for office. Like they're, you know, sometimes you see the president in the White House or something like that. But like, you know, it's not it's not Primary Colors. I'll say that. Like Primary Colors is pretty solid. I like that one a lot, and mm-hmm. I found that one to be very insightful. Um, wag the dog. Wag the dog. Wag the dog. Yeah, that one is just, and I guess like all the presidents' men, like that one is not really that political. That's more just intrigue. Mm-hmm. So, but um, Manchurian yeah. Canada. I don't know if that really counts. I, I feel like it doesn't. <laughs> um, you know what though? Like, yeah, maybe I it does a little it. bit yeah. because you know there's levels it's of made it. Made in the do. height of political paranoia. Yeah, and I think that plays into it. Yeah. But uh, and then I'm I'm a fan of JFK and Nixon specifically. I'm a mm-hmm. big fan of Nixon, the movie, not necessarily the person. Um, <laughs> Now, speaking of somebody that, but that did not seem presidential, uh, <laughs> even though he was, you know, reelected by a crazy landslide, mm. um, it's it's almost like everybody was just like, ah, yeah, all right, sure. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so we we've talked about, and I, I'll I'll transition into the the companion film here. We've talked about George Clooney's character being revealed to not be perfect, mm-hmm. um, and in fact, you know. It's not merely that he is seen as flawed and he compromises on some things, though he does do that. But, like, I mean, when when he is finally confronted with the, the dirt that we keep talking about, um, I mean, he gets defiant. He gets yeah. uh, mm-hmm. indignant. And as, as though he never – as though he didn't do anything wrong. He, I think he knows he did, but he doesn't like being called on it. Mm-hmm. And that shows a certain degree of pride mm-hmm. in himself. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I will call myself on mistakes, thank you. Mm-hmm. Do you know – don't you know who I am? Mm-hmm. You know? It kind of it, – it smacked of that. And, and ha- again, hats off to Clooney, the actor, for being willing to play the less desirable parts of that character and mm-hmm. play them the way they should be played. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also see – in Ryan Gosling, Gosling's character, who, you know, believed in this guy and really thought he was doing some good things, and uh, and said, you know, I think he says like, I'm drinking the Kool Aid and it's del-. Uh, no, she's like, you know, you drink, you've had the Kool Aid, he's like, and it's delicious. Mm-hmm. Like he, he's absolutely on board, and uh, and when he finds out some of this stuff, you know, he he kicks into like, well, I have a job to do now, but you also like just and. You know, we haven't talked a lot about Ryan Gosling's performance, but he's a very good actor, and I think he mm-hmm. he shows even as he's working to cover things up and all that. You see behind his eyes that like I I don't like that I have to do this. Mm-hmm. I wish yeah. I didn't have to do this uh, because now this guy's just like everybody else mm-hmm. in some way. And then that scene between him and and Clooney, where Clooney's being really defiant, like the more defiant he is, the, you just see Ryan Gosling just harden oh, that yeah. much more. Yeah. It's it's. It's great. It's very sad, uh, I, I thought, but um, 
but yeah, so um, so the idea of politicians not being perfect. Uh, there is a uh, the movie that the, the companion film is All the King's Men, the 1949 version. I have not seen the 2006 version. Uh, directed by Robert Rawson, or is it Rosen? There's two S's. There's two S's, so I would think it's Rawson. It's Rawson, I think. Um, and it was based on the book by Robert Penn Warren, which I somewhat recently finished reading after a long time because I would take breaks because I'm not a good reader. But uh, I think at this point it's probably my favorite book of all time. It is absolutely mm. astounding, and it's. I hate to say this as a movie lover, like no movie can even touch it. Like there's so much stuff in there that it just it cannot. Yeah. A movie can't do it. A miniseries couldn't do it. Like watching the watching the movie, it does seem like one of those that they have to leave out a whole lot of stuff because yeah. there's so much that happens, and all of it happens in an hour and forty five minutes, yeah. and. You're like, there's some of these things that are like a like a 20 second montage that I feel like could be five chapters of the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and have you I, read I the have book, not, Josh? I have not read the book, okay. so I don't know. It's it really is amazing. It's be, it's beautifully written, and there's there's whole sections that don't have anything to do with the story that mm-hmm. we're interested in. It has to do with like a bit of research that our main character did into his past, not his past, but like his ancestors from like three generations ago hmm. and like when he was in college he did research on this one guy's uh, scan- a scandal that this guy was involved in that he that he's related to um, but never knew and he just tells that guy's story for an entire hmm. like 80 pages of the book and it's fascinating but after you're you're sort of like why am I reading this? <laughs> like, what does this have to do with the story? It's like, well, it doesn't have to do with the story. It has to do with our main character, and he's the one telling the story. So mm-hmm. if he wants it to be there, then it will be there. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just a wonderful book. I, I cannot recommend it highly enough. Um, but yeah, the movie, like I said, 1949, it won Best Picture, Best Actor, and Supporting Actress. Uh, and it is about, I mentioned earlier, it's about uh, this governor of a southern state uh we know it to be louisiana but i don't think it's ever identified in the in the film i don't think so because i was watching for that in in re-watching the film and they, i didn't feel like they ever noticed it yeah which and i thought it was out of the way to do any accents of any kind so. yeah and i thought it might be maybe supposed to be louisiana because of uh for those who don't know the character of willie stark from all the king's men is is based on the, the uh real life politician huey long yeah and he was, uh, he was, yeah, he was governor of Louisiana. Yeah. Um, and I don't know the, I don't know what it is, but I, I think on Netflix, if you were on Netflix Watch Instant, if you were to type in Huey Long, there is, I think, an A&E biography about him that's available. He was a fascinating guy. Yeah, that would be interesting. It's I, I read watching. a little bit about him, but I, I feel like a biography would be yeah. very interesting. Because there's a lot of footage of him as well. And yeah. you see, like, I mean, Broderick, uh, so Broderick, Crawford plays Willie Stark and he won best actor and and when the guy when Stark goes up and and gives these big bombastic speeches like you're like man this seems over the top and then you see footage of Willie Long <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm sorry uh, uh Huey Long and you're just like oh not really over look the top. how subdued Broderick Crawford was <laughs> yeah um but I I mean I can believe that how many how many politicians are there out there in the world who are big and ridiculous like I mean look at uh Hugo Chavez, like you, you, mm-hmm. you couldn't have an actor play him over the top. Like he's he's yeah. huge. Yeah, it's uh, and and even people like uh, even people like Richard Nixon, frankly, you yeah, know, yeah, kind of a walking caricature himself, mm-hmm. and somebody like a like a Winston Churchill and mm-hmm. that sort yeah. of thing. Um, just kind of these just these outsized personalities. Yeah. Just, so you sometimes wonder if like 
if they're drawn to politics or people are just drawn to them and mm-hmm. so they're like yeah. huh people really seem interested in what I have to say about things <laughs> maybe I should say things for a living <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah and so All the King's Men is uh, about this poor lowly hick lawyer who uh, quickly who gets pulled into the political machine and is basically being used by it but eventually learns how it works mm-hmm. and uh, starts to manipulate it and then becomes incredibly powerful and it's told the book more than the movie it's told ostensibly from the point of view of one of the people that gets brought into the campaign uh, a guy who was a reporter and then gets brought in but as a reporter he kind of falls in love with this guy because yeah. he's kind of a no nonsense guy and he feels that he is a yeah. decent guy he gets swept up in the uh I don't know the excitement really yeah and all the things and it, it's interesting because Willie Stark has a lot of things to say that I'm sure would be like there were there were certain lines from the movie uh, I was watch I was watch, rewatching it today and there are certain lines that he says that you could really put them in the mouth of a politician today and people would stand up and cheer yeah he, and, he was very populist you could yeah. put a lot of I, okay I apologize for what I'm about to say but there is a, there is a fair amount of Joe Biden in him because Biden is kind of a folksy type. He kind of prides himself on that. Um, whether you think he is or not is not the issue. But you could put a lot of his lines, uh, uh, Willie Stark's lines, into Joe Biden's mouth, and you could make it work. Yeah. Um, but I think the point that the film ultimately makes is that whether or not the things that he says are good, like the man himself is not so good. Yeah, and he was. Like, he actually did want to change things, and then, you know, as as is the case, and as is uh, something that, you know, kind of a cliche to say, but, uh, you know, you get involved, and suddenly this thing starts to change you more than you're changing it, and you become yeah. just one more guy mm-hmm. that's, that's yeah. doing this. Um, and, uh, yeah, so um, so the, the story is told from the point of view of this guy, Jack Burden, who who actually does find Willie to be a decent guy, and actually he sort of gets involved almost because he wants to protect this guy from from getting being too influenced by uh, the political machine mm-hmm. uh, but that puts him like gives him a front row seat to watch this guy get not not eaten up by the machine but to- he totally takes it over and mm-hmm. he becomes the worst one <laughs> um, but uh, it's it's a I, I love the movie I think it's I think it's really great I'm kind of I, I have a morbid curiosity about the 2006 film, which I hear is just an absolute fiasco. Mm. Um, it's Steven Zalian, who actually is a pretty good writer, but and he wrote and directed this one. Um, but And it sounds like he was trying to really capture the essence of the book, and I think maybe that's why it did not turn out so well. Mm. It's yeah. too much, maybe. Yeah, because um, I feel like the only way you could do that at all is have it be a miniseries, and even then, like, you're still not... I think you're still not going to capture it. Yeah, there's it. a lot in there. Yeah. Um... So, so I wanted to talk about, uh, I wanted to use this idea of like, you have these guys who get involved in the campaign, campaigns of these very charismatic, dynamic, well-meaning politicians, and they kind of put them up on, on a pedestal a little bit. They're drinking the Kool-Aid. They find it delicious. You know, Jack Burden, when he sees like, Willie's first fire and brimstone speech. He's like, he's wonderful. Like, I mean, he just, he can't believe how great this guy is. And so he is on board. He's in it for the duration. Uh, And then you see them just get disillusioned when they realize these guys are not perfect at all. 
Yeah. Um, and in the case of you know, in the case of uh, Ryan Gosling's character, like it seems somehow out of character that when he finds this out and he gets fired, it's the combination of both. Like he becomes he he's vengeful against the governor. He wants to bring him down, but at the same time, it's betrayal. He feels yeah. like. Like if he if he wasn't that in, if he wasn't that into him and just kind of saw that it was a job, and then he found this out about him, he'd just mm-hmm. be like, "Well, that's the way it goes." Right. Yeah. And there's definitely a note of personal betrayal in that one as well because it it turns out that the governor was asked whether they ought to fire him, and and he said yes. Like yeah. he he agreed with the the plan to to fire him. Mm-hmm. So it's like the the governor had not only betrayed him in having. Uh, uh, betrayed his ideals, I guess, but also specifically said we don't want him around anymore. Yeah, yeah, and so, so yeah, like there is something to be said about, especially now. Like this, this is one of the reasons. If this had been a particularly uh, civil election, then I might not be so inclined to uh, to have an episode about politics. Mm-hmm. But it has not been. On both sides, like you get horrible things being said, um, and that's and of course you know I I I lean a certain way politically, and so uh, I'm inclined to think well, people on the other side are wrong at the, in the sense that they're incorrect or that their ideas may be fine but impractical. Like, and and you know it's it's easy in any case to when you're just thinking to yourself or if you're talking to somebody who is like minded, it's mm-hmm. easy to stereotype the people that don't think how you think mm-hmm. um but man just some of the some of the poison that's being put out there like on facebook and twitter and just mm-hmm. and even in stuff that like the candidates themselves say or their surrogates say like it's it's really awful sometimes when campaigns uh, end up or well turn this way I, i'm like when when will people stop and and just kind of look at each other and be like no one can be as bad as as your opposing <laughs> right. candidate has been painted to be. Like these, do these people like like? Can you imagine if a person that bad actually existed? And, like you know, was hanging around in your you know. Yeah. Well, it's only possible to talk that way about another group of people when it when it becomes a caricature. Because if yeah. you you're only able to do that once you stop thinking of them as a real person. Yeah. Um, and I think the same goes for when you treat someone in such a positive, idealistic way. You can really only do that if you stop thinking yeah. of them as a real person. See them as some sort of savior instead of as a just another man. Mm-hmm. A or symbol. One. And so I wanted to uh, read a couple of things here. Uh, first, I'll start with a quote by uh, Tim Keller. I know I quote him a fair amount, but uh, he, uh, he has a book called uh, Counterfeit Gods that uh, I think is pretty solid. Um, and uh, if you're listening to this, then maybe you enjoy. Maybe you would enjoy hearing it on audiobook. That's that's how I read it. Sure, listened, listened to it. it. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah. Uh, so here's the uh, here's the quote: When love of one's people becomes an absolute, it turns into racism. When love of equality turns into a supreme thing, it can result in hatred and violence towards anyone who has led a privileged life. It is the settled tendency of human societies to turn good political causes into counterfeit gods. As we have mentioned, Ernest Becker wrote that in a society that has lost the reality of God, many people will look to romantic love to give them the fulfillment that uh, that once found 
that w- uh, that was once found in religious experience. Nietzsche, however, and we're back to him, episode uh, 50, I think. Uh, Nietzsche, however, believed it would be money that would replace God. But there is another candidate to fill this spiritual vacuum. We can also look to politics. We can look upon our political leaders as messiahs, our political policies as saving doctrine, and turn our political activism into a kind of religion. Mm-hmm. Um, and I... I think that really sums it up quite well, um, especially given what we've uh, what we've been talking about. Just this idea of like, you know, if there is a candidate that you that you really believe in, it, it's fine to believe in them, but like that mm-hmm. you you find no fault in them. Mm-hmm. Uh, that after a while, you know, I talk about this. Uh, I've talked about this on Battleship Pretension that in the movie, <laughs> in the movie nerd community. You'll talk about a movie that you haven't even seen. It's it's going to be coming up. It's it's coming out soon. Maybe in a month or two. And you and you're anticipating, and you're like, it's gonna be great. Well, you don't know that. Mm-hmm. You think it's gonna be great. You hope it's gonna. You be hope great. it's gonna be great, as we all do. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like, oh, it's it's gonna be great. I know it's gonna be great. How how could it not be great? Mm-hmm. And then, like, the more you say that, the more you're kind of investing a part of yourself in that mm-hmm. to the point yeah. that when the movie isn't good and even if you recognize it's not being good you find yourself sort of defending things because mm-hmm. if i if i guaranteed that this movie was good and so and kind of put some of my reputation and credibility on the line there and it's not like what does that say about me mm-hmm. well it yeah, doesn't yeah. have to say anything right if we don't if we don't let it and it's abs- i think it's absolutely the same with politics but totally. probably to a greater extent yeah it's it's that's the sort of thing where you see people in, in the movie nerd, nerd world at least f- arguing about whether a movie is going to be good or not yeah <laughs> a movie that two people have never seen before both of them having an argument about the quality of this movie that they have that they know nothing about it's yeah it's a very you come invested in something like that then you'll fight for it even if it doesn't make sense to fight for it yeah emphasis on the fight you know, and that's one of the reasons why I, I was excited to have uh, Megan here because listeners uh, who uh, heard her episode about Agora knows that uh, you know you did a lot of uh, debate. I did, indeed. and and it's something that, and so you and I and and Josh as well, like you know, during this election season, we we often find ourselves kind of complaining sometimes about the opposition sometimes about our own side because like why why didn't they do this mm-hmm. why can't they just be like us you mm-hmm. know so far removed from anything that matters what we're meaning to say by that is that all three of us are running for office <laughs> oh, that'd be the best i'd be such a I, you know what i'd be pretty good at giving a speech you can write it josh debate prep <laughs> awesome so, dream team all right smith for city council Sure, sure. Let's go, let's go president. Why oh, not? All right. Okay. All right. I mean, the election's this year. Why, why wait <laughs> yeah. another four years for another one to come by? That makes sense Just to me. throw your hat in the ring. We'll start going. Yeah. So if this airs on, what, the 30th? <laughs> it gives us Listeners? A, that's, a whole do, that's a whole two days to get the word out. <laughs> I mean, hey, you guys really backed me for those podcast awards, so I think this will work out. Um and then when the time comes, uh, Josh, you can be my, uh, ah, you know what? Defense. I want defense. Nothing else. <laughs> you know what? Megan, you'll be my VP. That's awesome. right. I'm forward thinking. I'll design the best signs to go in people's yards ever. 
Is that what the VP does? I think so. Okay. Um, yeah, the VP is usually in charge of graphic design. <laughs> um, I'm a graphic designer, by the way. That's why I said that. But uh, so that's the thing is like so many people like the the tone has gotten so terrible, and it's something that Megan, you and I talked about. Mm-hmm. When you were on the show, it's just this idea of like, now we were talking about like defending Christianity mm-hmm. and how there are certain things, certain tones you don't want to strike. Mm-hmm. Partially because you'll actually do more damage to your side mm-hmm. by adopting this tone. But now everybody's doing that. Right. right. Uh, and fa- I think they fail to realize how damaging it can be. And for something I think much less than like, I mean, when you're talking about defending Christianity, you're talking about defending your worldview. Like, mm-hmm the values that define you people are are now arguing with that much fervor over like the tax code yeah you know mm-hmm. well i think it's interesting because i i don't i really think this speaks to people's inherent desire whether you're christian or not to believe in something greater than yourself and so you know politics is a great way to find um someone or something that you can believe in that's bigger than you. I mean, these issues are that we're talking about in, in the political arena now, health care and um, education, the average person, even if you're a savvy person, can't possibly understand the intricacies um, and the complications of these issues. And so it, it makes sense that you want to be able to trust and just believe that someone's got it and someone understands it. And what does it mean then when you put all your faith into this, you know, this idea that they've got it and they understand it and then that that proves itself to not be true i mean that really can shake you up and make you feel like well then who can i trust and who am i supposed to believe in put my faith in right yeah and you could and that's the thing you've got you have options when that happens uh and i think it probably happens to to all of us like in the primary i had somebody that i was that i was in favor of but Mm -hmm. he didn't make all the right moves and Mm -hmm. when he didn't like i i I got kind of angry, mm-hmm. but also part of me is like, well, hang on, hang on, hang on. Maybe, maybe he has a point in what he's saying. It's like, no, I didn't, I didn't like this attack when somebody else made it, and I don't like it when my guy's making it. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and so, but, I, but he was my guy. And so, and as we said, my guy's the right guy. <laughs> and, uh, and so you have the option of like recognizing, all right, he's not perfect, like this and and there's and I shouldn't have expected him to be. Mm-hmm. He's he's wrong on what he is saying here. Mm-hmm. Either what he is saying or the way he's saying it. I cannot get behind it, and that's perfectly okay. Mm-hmm. Or I can, def- or I could defend it because well, he's right on. I, I agree with him on all this other stuff. And even though this doesn't quite gel, you know what? Let's go. Let's mm-hmm. do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, or there's the option of like, screw this whole thing. You know, uh, I'm I'm done with this, mm-hmm. um, and I think the latter two are what what happens when you, you know, that idea of like believing in something that's bigger than you, and you put it and you you take that and put it into a person is, uh, right, yeah. and when that person lets you down, those I think those are uh, what can happen. Like you you know you you're maybe not your whole world, but when it comes to this specific thing kind of comes crumbling down a little bit and you don't know how to you don't know how to respond either you put up a good front and make it look like the world's not crumbling and everything's fine no this is this is exactly what i wanted him to do mm-hmm. um or her you know let's mm-hmm. come on yeah come on maybe you're a fan of uh <laughs> michelle bachman <sighs> nancy pelosi 
Kelly Ayotte. <laughs> Sarah Palin. Sarah Palin is another option. She doesn't hold office at the moment. Are you That's just, why I did not say her. Oh, okay. You're just naming, I'm naming female politicians. Female politicians. Oh. Roseanne. Bev Perdue. What? She's the governor of North Carolina. I think oh. she's still the governor, right? Oh, I don't know. Yeah. I used to live I there. Stopped. Haley. I don't know She's the governor is. of something. I think. South Carolina, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, Leslie Nope. Abs- yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I put all my eggs in that basket. You know what? You're probably right to do that. Yeah. Um, that's a, that's an actually a pretty good... That we're making yeah, reference to Parks and Recreation. From a... Uh, from a political standpoint, that's a pretty good show, yeah. too, showing the bureaucracy. Yeah, yeah. Somebody who's really idealistic constantly being <laughs> taken mm-hmm. down by, like, because she kind of puts the political process uh, and, the, and the process of, like, governing kind of puts that up on a pedestal and week to week is reminded <laughs> that it's not going to work out well. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I think it, it's funny because I, I feel like the political thing, especially because we're in election season, it's so obvious, but it really parallels any other thing in our life that can be good, but that we turn into an idol that then becomes an, uh, I guess it sort of becomes a negative thing in our life because we put too much importance on it. Um, because I mean, there's, there is something good about finding a candidate that you believe is going to do something good in the world. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I feel like as a Christian, you, at least my, my feeling is that you do have a personal responsibility, I think, to try and make the world a better place and care about social justice and care about injustices in your country and in the world at large. Um, And so when you find someone who you think can, can mirror those values, I think that's a good thing that you would want to support them. Mm -hmm. But, you know, just like anything that can start out good when you start twisting it into an idol into sort of a savior thing, um, it can turn into negative, and I think Satan, you know, can can use that and twist it into something bad. And I mean, even like with things that are good, like marriages and you know, uh, health. Even I think people can put too much stock in it, and then it becomes a um, have too much sway over your life. I think. Yeah. yeah. It's oh god. I was just going to say that it all goes to the the, some, the point that I think we may have talked about on the show before. We may not have. It's just, maybe it's just something that I feel like comes up a lot. Uh, in Christian circles, but the idea that um, if, like us, you're a Christian, you believe that people were created and people were created to worship God, and so our natural tendency is to want to worship something. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, I don't think that's, that idea is unique to Christians either. I feel like you see it in a lot of pop culture. Well, Bob Dylan says you got to serve somebody. Like yeah. that's during his Christian phase, by the way, he said that. Oh, yeah. That but, lasted about, I think, two albums. <laughs> but uh, and in um, the master, what's that quote? That's there's a great quote in the oh, master was, that yeah. just came out where uh, the Philip Seymour Hoffman character, back to Philip Seymour Hoffman, yeah. uh, says something like, you know, uh, what does he say? Like if you if you can find a way to not serve any master, you know, you'll you'll beat us all or something. Yeah, like, that. like you're the first one in 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 history, thousands of years yeah. of history or something like yeah. that to find a way that I only saw it once but I d- and I don't recall but I do remember that the the gist of that line mm-hmm. and, I, and I loved it yeah um, so like that's that's the way that people are and uh, you know when election season rolls around when people are hot under the collar about social or political or economic or uh, uh, what's the word for the last one international issues sure foreign policy foreign policy is the <laughs> word I was afraid I was looking for but uh then that can be where where our worship goes sometimes. We can look towards a, a, like we've said, candidate or ideology to solve those problems, and that becomes a, a god in a way. 
you know uh, the we have talked about uh, what you're what you were discussing um, on the show before uh, specifically with our proposition episode in which mm. we talked about like yeah. you know family is like a, a, this um, it's great it's a wonderful thing you know I mean you guys are married I'm married and like I would do anything. I feel like I would do anything for my wife if she died or something like that. I mean, I would be. I feel like I would be crushed. I feel like it would it would take so much out of me. And I put a lot of. I I know I put a lot of personal stock into my marriage. Uh, maybe too much. Um, I I think it's hard not to. But at the same time, it's just it happens a lot. And uh, and there's not there's absolutely nothing wrong with marriage. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with valuing marriage. But marriage can go away in any number of things mm-hmm. in any number of ways. And like. You know, and your family can, you know, and with the proposition, you have, and and the companion film was The Godfather, you had people who took, took something as good and, and kind of pure as family, and they made it the ultimate thing. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly, anybody that isn't family, you can kill them if you want. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, that's, and in the same way, hmm. political ideology. Yeah. If somebody doesn't believe what I believe, because mine is clearly the only way, and this candidate over here is the only, the only one who gets it. Mm-hmm. Feel free to kill them. Yeah, maybe out. not, maybe not physically, but just really, just beat them into the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did want to say real quick. I'll, I'm going to say a couple Bible verses, and we'll start wrapping up. But I did want to say something real quick uh, in case anybody had anything to say about this. I want to try and head off possible emails. Um, <laughs> you can be a Christian and be liberal. You can be a Christian mm-hmm. and be conservative. Mm-hmm. Uh, there will be people on both sides that say impossible. Uh, as I was doing research for this episode, and I was re- researching that Tim Keller quote, uh, because <laughs> K- Keller had the audacity, audacity, to use the term social justice in a sermon. Uh, somebody said he was not a he wasn't a Christian because, well, you know, you take away you focus on social justice and you take away the 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 need for like personal a personal savior. And it's like, no, no, you don't. What? Like it, it just it astounds me. But then at the same time, like you know, people on the other side say the same thing. Like if you if you focus on, and it, a lot of it comes down to I think uh, the kind of an age old argument actually in the in the Christ, in the church uh, capital C um, faith and works. Mm-hmm. You know which Absolutely, one is it? Yeah. And it's actually both, incidentally. Yep. Um, is it faith or works? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and um, it seems like most of those questions in Christianity were where you ask, is it this or this? It's usually usually the answer is both. Yeah. yeah. Which is frustrating to a lot of people. Is Jesus fully God or fully man? Both. Both. Yes. And it's and that's, three separate persons or one person. Both. Well, well all three, I guess. Well, yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's... Uh, and it's be, and that's the that's the thing. As I've said, I know I've said this on the show. We, we're repeating ourselves a lot. It would appear. Um, you know, just listen to other episodes. <laughs> at this point. Um, I think we're done. Once we <laughs> once we I, once we bag that podcast award that we may or may not be nominated for, then it's podcast over. Yeah, that's why I got into this. So you could. <laughs> I got so into you could finish a podcast. It's, yeah, I got into I got into the podcast. <laughs> And I chose, I said, you know what? The best way to win a podcast award is to have a Christian show about movies. That'll really build my audience and guarantee I get a podcast award. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, it's this idea of extremes are easy, whatever that might be. The extreme, for example, like, you know, is it faith or, or works? Well, there are people that say, well, clearly it's works. And people say, well, clearly, clearly it's faith. It's easy to do that. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and in the and in the same way, like it's easy to say my way is completely right. And nine times, one thing that I do find fascinating is when people talk about bipartisanship. That's fine. But what they often mean is, like, when they talk about how great compromise is, what they usually mean is when, <laughs> when the other party, when, yeah, when <laughs> the other party says something I like, when somebody of my party says something the other party likes, I call that selling out. <laughs> you know, and it's yeah, it's that kind of thing that just fascinates me, and just and it's so easy. Like once you delve into that, then you deal with straw. You wind up dealing with straw man arguments. You you know you demonize other people. Mm-hmm. You know and. On Facebook, it's one of you know I, I've said this on Twitter like often during uh, debates, uh, and on Facebook, you know people post stuff that is overtly insulting mm-hmm. of me. Now they don't specify me because why would they? They specify you know basically it's meant to it's meant for the people that agree with them, mm-hmm. and it's basically saying look at how dumb the people that don't agree with us are. And what I always want to I always want to send a message to that person be like. You realize you're talking about me. Do you actually think I'm an idiot? Mm-hmm. Do you think I don't care about this, that, mm-hmm. or whatever? Like, you know, in the same, and it's the same with with uh, Christianity. People on online post a lot of like anti-religious and specifically anti-Christian stuff, and I want to be like, so like, do you, so when you listen to Battleship Retention or More Than One Lesson, are you just shaking your head the whole every time I talk? <laughs> like, it's, and I and I realize that that sort of makes it about me, but it has it has sort of cause me to be like all right if that like i will try not to post something that is overtly insulting even if it even if it kind of tickles that part of me that that says like yeah i'm pretty great and and what i believe is right and everyone else is dumb you know that one could say the prideful part of me Mm -hmm. um like i specifically try not to post that because it will probably insult somebody and i chances are i'm not seeing all the sides and what good does it do right And I think yeah. we're called to be charitable, too, you know? I mean, yeah. yeah. It's funny how when we put someone or something in the position of Jesus in our lives, it, it's almost like what what was, you know, a love of neighbor turns into, like, a hatred of neighbor or mm-hmm. a hatred of people who don't agree with us, whereas if we actually have Jesus in the position of Savior in our lives, we become more loving. Mm-hmm. You know, it's yeah. interesting how that works. Yeah. Yeah, Josh and I were talking today as we were preparing for the episode that like it Christ and Christianity and faith in Christ is so freeing. People think including Christians, including myself sometimes, we think it's restrictive. We think it it kind of puts us in this in this box, but it's actually incredibly freeing because suddenly to go back to what we've been talking about this episode, mm-hmm. you know, suddenly if there's a politician you really like and he says something that you don't like, you don't have to defend that. Right. Yeah. It's not your life. It, it's not, it yeah. doesn't define you. It's, it's not, not your the identity. center of who you are. So you don't have to like make that work so that you can continue living, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. And vice versa. When the, when a political candidate on the opposite side says something that makes total sense, you don't have to somehow rationalize a way that it doesn't make sense so yeah. that you can fight against it or figure out a way that it could be a lie or right. something like right. that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it makes it makes things so much easier mm. because it's the thing that won't go away if you build mm. your identity on that and i know some people you know i know listeners of the show that are not christian they would say that even that is foolhardy because look at all these look at all these ways that i can poke holes in christianity it's like well christianity is like in many ways one could say it doesn't make sense in the sense like faith and works well which one is it clearly one is better than the other 
and it says like you're saved through faith, but then that will come through and works. It's like, well, if I'm not doing works, then maybe maybe you're not saved. But I thought I was saved through grace. Yes, and it will show through works. Like the two things do exist at the mm-hmm. same time, and that doesn't make a lot of sense to people. And people will sometimes take that attitude and say, well, that's why this doesn't make sense, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's why I don't believe it. And so. You know, so I, I can understand why people would say, like, I'm absolutely not building my identity on on Jesus, on mm-hmm. a, on religion in general. Um, but I feel like a good litmus test is when you when you entertain the idea of building your identity on Christ and actual Christ and what He actually said, mm-hmm. as opposed to uh, I believe in Jesus everyone else can die like you know <laughs> right. which is which is not a biblical attitude mm-hmm. um it's it, everyone else can die and i and I, i'll be thrilled to see them go mm-hmm. you know <laughs> then you wind up westboro baptist and nobody and they're they're decidedly anti-christian i think um yeah. but like when you entertain the notion of really taking this seriously like and by the way, if you actually manage to do that, uh, let me know how to do it because uh, I don't <laughs> yeah. think any of us have, have perfected it. But like, it is amazing how how many other things melt away. Yeah. Um, in the best way, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and you realize like how rickety those things were in the first place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's hard about this, especially as someone who who you know came to Christ in college and you know went through a whole period where I was you know sort of vehemently you know i guess felt like all christianity was sort of a i don't know um what's the word i'm looking for an institution of hypocrisy basically Ah, but Mm. um it's easy to look at christians and say well you know this idea that putting jesus as you know the savior in your life above all else doesn't really change anything because they look at christians and they don't see a difference in the way that they act and, you know and a lot of christians continue to be you know perhaps hateful towards a certain political party or hateful towards non-christians or hateful towards a certain social group or whatever um or or for that matter hateful towards other churches you know because you're you're so loyal to your pastor and your pastor is the you know be all end all of everything um but the, but you know the truth of it is that Christians are are saved and are you know what's what's the Bible verse are saved being saved and are, and will be saved like mm-hmm. that, that our salvation is being worked out uh, um, it, and that's another one of those kinds of mysteries but yes we are a new creation but we are not perfect and uh, and it's a constant struggle because there is this um, you know there's the constant kind of emptying of yourself and being filled with God. And the more filled with God you are, I think the easier it is to, to naturally love others and to be more patient and to be more loving and to, to not be so sort of, um, I don't know, defensive, but it's just so easy to slip back. You know, um, I think it's, it's, it's a constant, you're constantly growing and developing in that by the grace of God. Um, so I think I want to start wrapping up, uh, and I'll, I'll I'll say some stuff, and then uh, and then you guys can can respond and chime in, and then I'll I'll end with a couple of uh, Bible verses. But um, yeah, and so as in the as we ramp up uh, ramp up, uh, we're pretty f- well ramped into the election. Uh, but as we you know are in the home stretch of the election, you know. I specifically want I was toying with the idea of have, putting this out a, a day before the election but I kind of want it to be a week before so that if you're listening to this chances are you have a political opinion and it's entirely possible that you think the people that don't agree with that opinion are stupid 
or immoral or they just don't care or something. I would say if you're a Fox News person, go and watch MSNBC. If you're an MSNBC person, go and watch Fox News. Read The New Republic. Read National Review. Like, the thing is, and you know what? You might read and get really angry. But at the, at the very least, you will have heard the other person out because in the same way as we don't want people, you know, the other side to say like, oh, our, you know, that side is so evil. And we're like, no, we're not. We're, we, we often do the exact same thing. And like, it's easy to say like, oh, well, they believe this just because of this. And it's, and it's usually really uh, dismissive reason and reductive and all that. And that's, I know I'm guilty of that. And so, but ultimately like, Chances are you have friends, good friends, who believe the exact opposite of you, but they have the the same goals. That's the that's the thing as well. Is like, you know, you you both want good things to happen for the poor, for example, mm-hmm. but you have different theories about how best to make that happen. Mm-hmm. But but often because of the because of the execution as opposed to the goal, we're inclined to say, well, they don't even have that goal. They just don't even care. So, um, so what I would say is like, you know, you, you can be a Christian and vote for Barack Obama. You can be a Christian and vote for Mitt Romney. It's fine. Uh, you know, and just, and here's something to keep in mind. Ah, huh? uh, first Timothy, you know what? Hey, uh, Megan, you've got it in front of you. Sure. Do you want to read that? Yeah. It's on page two there. Okay. First Timothy chapter two, verses one through two. First of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Now that's uh, pretty self-explanatory, but it's one of those things that like, I know that, you know, and, and I'm sure that uh, the last few years there have been like... So I, I'm fa- I'm fairly right leaning, and I know that the last few years there have probably been a lot of Christians, a lot of fellow conservatives in my case, um, who like prayed against the president. I have no doubt of that. Mm-hmm. Now it's one thing to say, you know, I, I think what he's doing is wrong for the country, and I pray that cooler heads prevail. I pray that things, you know. Uh, that, that it doesn't that this thing I think is damaging I pray that it doesn't happen I, I think that's kind of okay mm-hmm. or more specifically I pray that the best thing that can happen does mm-hmm. if you want to go with that but like to pray against a person like you know there I didn't incorporate the verse here but you know there is a place in the Bible that says like God put our authority figures there for a reason and chances are we're not going to be able to figure out what that is mm-hmm. and so like yeah like it doesn't matter who it doesn't matter if Obama remains president or if Mitt Romney gets elected like we are supposed to pray for the good of them for wisdom for peace for grace and for the nation in general um, like that is what we're supposed to do mm-hmm. uh, and then there is uh, I'm mentioning this and I will uh, make reference to a sermon uh, in a moment uh, so okay Matthew uh, 22 verses 17 through 21 uh, the Pharisees are coming to Christ and they say, tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, because they are trying to trap him, said, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius and he asked them, 
Whose image is this, and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, So give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. And it's one of those things like, you know, you may not like what the government is doing. If it's doing something immoral and, like, you know, killing its citizens or something, yeah, sure, you know what? Uh, you, you can rebel against that if you want. But ultimately, like, you can be angry with the government and all that, but, like, it doesn't have to overwhelm you. You can still be loyal to the government even if your guy isn't in charge, um, you know. And the sermon that I made, made reference to, and I'll, I'll link to it in the, uh, in the show notes, um, Tim Keller once again gave a sermon about uh, arguing about politics, and he said, you know, ultimately – you give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and then he specifies. He does, it, it, Jesus does not stop there. He says, "And to God, what is God's?" Well, Caesar has loyal, our loyalty, and in some cases, our money, and that sort of thing. God has our soul, and mm. he is, and and Christ has saved it. And so, that's first and foremost what everything is. And when you put that first, everything else. It's not that it goes away, but it gets thrown into sharp relief, and and, it, and you get perspective from it um absolutely so all right anything else you guys wanted to to throw out there uh you know not any uh political endorsements you want to make <laughs> i endorsed i endorsed tyler for president and oh. me as vice president and me as secretary of defense <laughs> there you have it absolutely to the booths to the voting booths <laughs> um one thing i will say real okay. quick is i i found that um this this is like so basic but um actually talking to people who totally disagree with you like it sounds like the most obvious of things but it's it's actually hard to do especially because we um i think rightfully so to a certain extent have an idea that you shouldn't really talk about politics and shouldn't really talk about certain things yeah. and i'm not necessarily politics s- and religion are, are usually the two right exactly mm-hmm. so you know and yeah I'm, I'm not saying like you necessarily have to strike up a conversation about politics with someone that you vehemently disagree with but if you know if there's someone that you know at work or um that's in your life that you know totally disagrees with you um it's so easy to sort of you know not talk about those things with them and then go home or you know go to to a friend that does agree and kind of like complain about it or talk badly about that person or how they totally don't get it or whatever but um but the more you actually talk to that person um and get to know them the harder it is to characterize them in your head and and sort of hate them um yeah. in your head so I, I really encourage people it's really worked for me <laughs> to like actually talk to the people that disagree because um, not only is it easier to love them it's easier to pray for them mm-hmm. um, and praying really is a great way to transform your heart um, so you know and, and also we're called to do that so mm-hmm. and also from a from a practical standpoint like uh, Jen and I had uh, some friends some good friends uh, visit from Chicago and uh they believe politically they believe different things than than i do and i had a sort of debate a civilized debate with them for like two hours and i I found it rather invigorating because i was you know it's this is not an endorsement of mitt romney but uh at the al smith dinner when mitt romney is saying some surprisingly pointed jokes uh usually the 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 jokes at the Al Smith dinner are pretty toothless, but his, uh, it's just like, oh, geez, man, come on, let's all have fun. <laughs> but he said something at the end that I really like, and he's like, we don't, and he was talking about his relationship to the president, and he said, we don't have the burden of hating each other. And that's really what mm, it is. That's good. And 
when I had this debate with these friends, you know, who, you know, they've been they've been there for us when we've been through stuff. We've been there for them when they've been through stuff. Like, you know, we know that the friendship is not going to dissolve over this. And and it was quite freeing and the the ensuing debate wound up being invigorating at the very and what's more is like you also find out things you don't know and you also and you're first off in a position to like defend your views and you in that moment you find out how much how much you know your views and how much you don't but also they might say something that you never thought of Mm -hmm. and that's good Mm -hmm. like that's a that's a fun thing it can be frustrating in the moment but like if you're open to it and you know that like the relationship is not going to be riding on if this person says the right thing like that's yes that kind of that kind of engagement is exactly what we should be doing as opposed to what often is the case uh, on facebook and twitter Yes. And maybe Instagram. I don't know. I don't have Instagram. <laughs> I feel like there's there's probably some campaign stuff on Instagram, right? Oh yeah. Um, but yeah. So uh, yeah. Uh, thanks everybody for uh, for listening. Um, now, Megan. Yes. You are, if I'm to understand correctly, a graphic designer. Correct. Now, do you have a website where somebody could go and look at your your graphic designs? You can go to my website. It is currently under construction. Oh, okay. So um, I, I have information there about what I offer and services. Um, I don't have a portfolio up there right now. I'm in the process of updating it because I just haven't updated it in a while. I've been okay. kind of lazy and I've done a bunch of new work that isn't up there yet. But uh, if you're interested, you can find me at meglongcreative.com. That's M-E-G-L-O-N-G creative.com. And I will say this not as a plug for my wife's business, but because <laughs> this is a plug for what Megan does. Uh, if you go to aldersphotography.com, you will find my wife's uh, wedding photography business. Uh, the website was designed by Megan, and I think it looks great. By so, Megan. <laughs> that was Josh's, I believe, sole contribution for like the last <laughs> 10 minutes. He's a little sleepy. Josh is an aspiring jingle writer, but I do not uh, endorse I, ma- I just made that one up. Don't you think that's good? It's pretty good. It I seems vaguely familiar. I think that's why it's so good. I think the Frosted Flakes had that. Anyway, mm. but, uh, okay, so MegLongCreative.com. Mm-hmm. Correct. Okay. Um, and you're on Twitter? Are you on Twitter? I am, okay. at MegMaryLong. MegMaryLong. Yes. MegMary, that's what I say. MegMary, yes. Um, okay. So, you can find us at morethanonelesson.com, uh, where you can go for the occasional blog, but uh, episodes as well, uh, of the podcast, as well as episodes of uh, The Unemployed Mind, directed, uh, written and directed by uh, our own Josh Long, uh, as well as uh, sermon recommendations and, and any number of things. Um, you can follow me on Twitter, uh, twitter.com slash morelessons. You can follow Josh on Twitter, at the Josh Long. At the Josh Long, and then you can also uh, join our group on Facebook, and you can find a link to that on uh, morethanonelesson.com. dot com. But uh, okay, uh, Megan, thanks for being here. Thank you, and uh, everybody. Uh, well, Josh, thanks for being here as always, my friend. You're welcome. Uh, and everybody, you know what? I'm going to make a statement right now. Go and vote. I don't. I don't even really care that much who you vote for, as long as you go in like with your eyes wide open, and uh, as long as you recognize that uh, you know. Uh, oh, what is it? My old youth pastor always says, as long, you know, just remember who you belong to, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, I always rolled my eyes at it. But uh, <laughs> but as time has gone on, it's like, oh, I actually find that phrase rather comforting. But, uh, but yeah, so go and do that. And uh, 
We'll get you next time. Bye.